Hello, and welcome to the Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, or Mid-East Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Underlying global efforts to counter fake news, psychological warfare, and malicious manipulation of public opinion is a far more fundamental battle. The global campaign by civilizationists, autocrats, and authoritarians to create a new world media order that will reject freedom of the press and reduce the fourth estate to scribes and propaganda outlets. The efforts appear to know no limits. Its methods range from seeking to reshape international standards defining freedom of expression and the media, the launch and or strengthening of government-controlled global, regional, national, and local media in markets around the world, acquisition of stakes in privately owned media, advertising in independent media dependent on marketing revenue, demonization, coercion, repression, and even assassination. Recent examples abound. They include a more aggressive Chinese approach to countering critical coverage of the People's Republic that violates international norms of diplomatic conduct. The use of technology to spy on journalists, researchers, and activists by, for example, the governments of the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia the jailing of journalists across the Middle East and North Africa, and in countries like Myanmar and Bangladesh. U.S. President Donald Trump's identification of mainstream media as the enemy of the people, and the killing of journalists across the globe, including the murder last year of Jamal Khashoggi. The effort to create a new world media order is enabled by a tacit meeting of the minds among world leaders, as well as conservative and far-right politicians and activists that frames global jockeying for power in a world order that would replace the US-dominated system established in the wake of World War II and take into account the rise of powers such as China, India, and Russia. The emerging framework is rooted in the civilizationalism and the rise of the civilizational state that seeks its legitimacy in a distinct civilization rather than the nation-state concept of territorial integrity, language, and citizenry. It creates the basis for an unspoken consensus on the values that would underwrite a new world order on which men like Xi Jinping, Vladimir Putin, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, Viktor Orban, Mohammed bin Salman, Narendra Modi, Rodrigo Duterte, and Donald Trump find a degree of common ground. If anything, it is this tacit understanding that in the shaping of a new world order constitutes the greatest threat to liberal values such as human and minority rights, as well as freedom of expression and freedom of the press. 
To be sure, independent media have often made life easier for those seeking to curb basic press freedoms. Valid criticism has put the media on the defensive. The criticism ranges from coverage of U.S. Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into now apparently unfounded allegations that Mr. Trump and his 2016 election campaign had colluded with Russia, and false assertions in the walk-up to the 2003 Iraq war that Iraq possessed weapons of mass destruction. The nuts and bolts of creating a new world media order are highlighted in a recent report by Reporters Without Borders that focuses on efforts by China, a key driver in the campaign, to turn the media into a compliant force that serves the interests of government rather than the public. The 52-page report asserts that over the course of the last decade, China has actively sought to establish an order in which journalists, scholars, and analysts are nothing more than state propaganda auxiliaries. While the report focuses on China, the issues it raises in terms of what constitutes journalism and the role of the media as the fourth estate that holds power to account and ensures that the public has access to accurate information and continued snapshots of history as it unfolds go far beyond Beijing's efforts. So does the lifting of the asylum and arrest in Britain this week of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. The Assange case raises issues of definitions of journalism. It also shines a spotlight on the field of tension between a free press and a liberal, autocratic, and authoritarian leaders in governments that increasingly dress up their attempts to curb media freedom in civilizationalist terms. The Assange case forces both the media and government, particularly in democratic societies, to determine the boundaries between journalism and whistleblowing. Leaving aside allegations that WikiLeaks played a role in alleged Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election, and criticism of Assange's style and personality, WikiLeaks operated as a channel and post office box for whistleblowers and as a source for media that independently authenticate and assess the news value of materials presented. In doing so, WikiLeaks provided a service rather than added value journalism. To be fair, some of the issues raised in the Reporters Without Borders report pose broader questions about the standards on which proper journalism should operate, rather than the right of governments, irrespective of political system, to try to ensure that their views and positions are reflected alongside their critics in media reporting. The report lists among Chinese efforts the lavishing of money on modernizing and professionalizing China's international TV and radio broadcasting, 
investment in foreign media outlets, buying a vast amount of advertising in foreign media, and invitations to journalists from all over the world to visit China on all expense paid trips. The report also notes that China organizes its own international events as an additional way of promoting its repressive vision of how the media should function. Hardly unique, these aspects of the Chinese effort, while noteworthy, primarily pose issues for the media. They raise questions about the standards to which media owners should be held, the way politically and geopolitically driven advertisement should be handled, and whether journalists and independent media, or for that matter, analysts and scholars, should accept paid junkets or avoid any potential jeopardizing of the integrity of their reporting and analysis by paying their own way. More troublesome is the report's assertion that China does not shy away from employing what it calls gangster methods. The report asserted that China no longer hesitates to harass and intimidate in order to impose its ideologically correct vocabulary and cover up the darker chapters in its history. International publishing and social network giants, according to the report, are forced to submit to censorship if they want access to the Chinese market. Moreover, Chinese embassies and Confucius Institutes serve as vehicles for attempts to impose China's will and counter perceived persecution of what it sees as hostile Western forces that seek to tarnish the People's Republic's image. China's vision of a new world media order is grounded in a 2003 manual for Communist Party domestic and external propaganda published with a foreword of then Party Secretary Hua Jintao. The manual sees journalists as government and party propagators who exercise self-censorship by handling properly the balance between praise and exposing problems. Mr. Chi amplified the message in 2016 during a rare high-profile visit to the newsrooms of China's top three state-run media outlets, the party's newspaper, People's Daily, news agency Jinhua, and China Central Television. The media, run by the party and the government, are the propaganda fronts and must have the party as their family name. All the work by the party's media must reflect the party's will, safeguard the party's authority, and safeguard the party's unity. They must love the party, protect the party, and closely align themselves with the party, its leadership in thought, politics, and action. Mr. Chi told media workers the term China increasingly is using to replace journalists as a designation. Chinese journalists have been banned from writing personal blogs, are advised daily by the party about which stories to emphasize, 
and which to ignore, and obliged to attend party training sessions. The title of Reporters Without Borders Report, China's New World Media Order, borrowed a phrase coined by Li Kongjun, a member of Chinese Communist Party Central Committee and former head of Jinhua. Writing in the Wall Street Journal in 2011, Mr. Li cast the need for a new world media order in civilizational terms. Media of all countries have the right to participate in international communication on equal terms and should respect the unique cultures, customs, beliefs, and values of different nations, Mr. Li said. Mr. Li's argument and language were straight out of the civilizationalist handbook that employs the theory of cultural relativism to oppose universal definitions of human rights and basic freedoms and argue in favor of such rights being defined in terms of individual civilizations. Civilizationalists also use cultural relativism to justify their tight control of the internet that ranges from blocking websites to creating a Chinese wall between national networks and the World Wide Web. Mr. Lee was two years later even more straightforward about what China was trying to achieve. If we cannot effectively rule new media, the ground will be taken by others, which will pose challenges to our dominant role in leading public opinion, he asserted. China's purpose was also evident in Mr. Li's systematic reference to the media as a mass communication industry rather than journalism as a profession. This is not insignificant, the Reporters Without Borders report said. By treating the media as an industry whose mission is to exercise influence on the state's behalf, Lee's New World Media Order abolishes the watchdog role the media are meant to play. Foreign affairs columnist Azad Essa discovered just how long the Chinese arm was, when independent media, publisher of 18 major South African titles, with a combined readership of 25 million, fired him for writing about the crackdown on Turkic Muslims in Xinjiang. Mr. Essa was told his column had been discontinued because of a redesign of the group's papers and the introduction of a new system. China International Television Corporation and China Africa Development Fund own a 20% stake in independent media through Interacom, Investment Holdings Limited, a Mauritius registered vehicle. Mr. Essa's experience notwithstanding, Chinese efforts to create its new world media order have produced mixed results. Various autocrats, such as Saudi Arabia's Mohammed bin Salman and the United Arab Emirates' Mohammed bin Zayed, have bought into the order's coercive and surveillance aspects. The two crown princes have in some ways been at the blunt edge 
of efforts to create a new world media order, with their demand that Qatar shut down its state-owned Al Jazeera television network as one of their conditions for the lifting of the Saudi-UAE-led diplomatic and economic boycott of the Gulf state that has been in place since June 2017. They also put themselves at the forefront by employing cutting-edge Israeli technology and former U.S. intelligence personnel to spy on journalists and dissidents across the globe. For their part, Chinese technology companies that would pr provide much of the New World Media Order's infrastructure have had something of an uphill battle. Attempts by Baidu, China's leading search engine, to establish local language versions in Japan, Brazil, Egypt, Thailand, and Indonesia flopped commercially. Ironically, the very freedoms China was trying to curtail worked in its favor when a U.S. federal court in the Southern District of New York ruled against pro-democracy activists who were seeking to restrict Baidu's ability to delete from searches terms censored in China. The court argued that Baidu's filtering of terms was a form of editorial judgment. Similarly, Chinese technology giants like Tencent with its unencrypted WeChat instant messaging app and controversial telecom equipment and consumer electronics manufacturer Huawei have scored where Baidu has failed. WeChat, whose traffic passes to Tencent's China-based servers that are accessible to Chinese authorities, claims to have more than 1 billion users, 10% of which are outside China. Huawei, that accounts for 15% of the world's smartphone market, has been accused of providing surveillance technology to Iran, as well as Xinjiang, and is suspected by a host of Western nations of posing a risk to national security. The company was accused of installing a backdoor in some of its pr products that allows secret access to data. Even more fundamental than the role of technology providers in the creation of a new world media order is China's ability to persuade nations in Asia and Africa to emulate its draconic laws governing cybersecurity and the internet. Chinese tech startups such as Leon, Mia Pico, Hikvision, Face++, SenseTime, and Dahua have achieved unprecedented levels of growth on the back of more than $7 billion in government investments over the last two years. Export of those technologies have prompted countries like Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia, Nigeria, Egypt, Uganda, Zambia, and Tanzania to introduce or contemplate introduction of legislation authorizing measures ranging from obliging internet companies to store data on local servers to criminalizing content that authorities deem to be propaganda, calls for public gatherings, or calls for di disruption or divisiveness. Cloudwalk, a Guangzhou 
Zimbabwe-based startup has finalized a strategic cooperation agreement with Zimbabwe to build a national mass space recognition program in order to address social security issues. Zimbabwe has installed a Chinese system that allows the government to monitor passengers at airports, railways, and bus stations. If the Reporters Without Borders report proves anything, it is that China is a major source of the problem. It is, however, but one source. China may have significant clout and considerable resources, but it is not alone in its civilizationalist approach towards crafting a new world media order. It is aided by autocratic and authoritarian regimes, as well as the world's illiberal Democrats. Finnish paper Helsingin Sanomat drove the point home when Mr. Trump met Mr. Putin in Helsinki in July of last year. Some 300 of the paper's billboards lining the road from Helsinki airport to the summit venue welcomed the two men to the land of the free press. Headlines on the billboards reminded them of their recent attacks on the media, said one billboard. Media critiquing Trump has changed the meaning of fake news. Helsingin Sanomat editor Kaius Niemi added in a statement that the paper wanted to remind Messrs. Trump and Putin of the importance of a free press. The media shouldn't be the lapdog of any president or regime, Mr. Niemi said. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer at MideastSoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care.